Hey guys, welcome back to the Grumpy PA Podcast. This episode, we're going to be talking about uh, what's in your sick call bag and common sick call complaints. So I've been over uh, on a deployment. I'm, I'm about six weeks in now. Uh, pretty remote, austere location, surprisingly so. And I've had some issues getting class eight supplies. Um, I'll be honest, a lot of my pre-deployment planning, I was thinking about trauma and I was thinking about how I'm going to prepare for that, especially considering that we are austere and I am separated by stuff. And I got a little distracted by the trauma. Uh, and so we kind of planned around trauma. I made sure I had a, a, every all my medics had their aid bags and everybody was ready to go for the trauma piece. But it kind of left some shortcomings and some shortfalls in my sick call supplies. Uh, and since we weren't able to get stuff for the first 30 days or so, I found myself kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and relying on host nation pharmacies and host nation supplies in order to be able to take care of my patients. So tonight, I, I just want to spend the time talking about uh, things that I wish I had brought uh, and maybe a, a, a way to organize your supplies and your equipment and maybe a way to, to plan about it. So I think the most important thing here, though, is to always make sure that you bring a way to make coffee, right? Like, I got here and I had absolutely, I had my little hand grinder. I had a, a, a French press. And so I, I was set, I was ready to go. That way I set my mood and was ready to make sure that I could treat these patients uh, with, with the love and care that they so, so ever loving deserve. Yeah, no, you gotta, you gotta, gotta pre-treat yourself, man. It's like when the oxygen mask comes down in the aircraft, put yours on first and then help others. It's that's, you gotta get the coffee first. Can't, can't save lives without it. So the first thing that uh, that really hit me and caught me by surprise is I, I've deployed with 12-man uh, male teams in the past. And so suddenly I'm deployed with a battalion full of ladies. And when we were back in the rear, it was really easy to make sure that I could take care of all of their needs. Uh, I had the clinic. I had labs. I had x-ray, ultrasound. Everything was available to us back in the rear. But now I'm overseas and uh, I have these young ladies coming up with very common complaints. And, and I, again, I, I kind of dropped the ball and, and didn't plan for them. Uh, things like UTIs or uh, concern for pregnancy, right? So, you know, so these ladies, even if they follow the brigade policies or the, the UCOM theater policies or uh, mod 14, 15, whatever uh, CENTCOM's on these days, uh, and get their 72-hour pre-deployment pregnancy test, that doesn't stop them from coming up pregnant four or five, six weeks into the deployment. Things like uh, nitrofurantoin, um, pregnancy tests, plan B, those weren't in my sick call bag. They definitely should have been. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I think this is a great point uh, to break in and tell you. Uh, ladies, we're sorry. Uh, obviously, this is two dudes talking about having to take care of women in a deployed setting without that personal perspective. And obviously, you're probably like, duh, everything you're saying makes you sound like an idiot. Uh, we got that. Uh, for dudes out there listening, uh, recognize that there's this whole other part of the army and taking care of women that is going to change things for you. No, I think that the UTI I'd throw some peridium in there as well, just because you're a nice person and you want to you want to be helpful to people. When you come from a predominantly male population and then you move in and you're taking care of females, you might be able to help out someone wander into your clinic and need something. So uh, those are things that I would have overlooked as well, and um, I would definitely continue down that pathway. And I know it's not going to be the content of our conversation today, but as you said that, I was like. Hey, and if you've got an ultrasound, bring it along too. like have it in your bag. And if you don't know how to use it, bring the ultrasound that you have 
and bring a phone number of somebody that you trust to talk you through it on the phone. It may save you. It may give you some confidence to at least uh, inform some stuff. Obviously, the easier answer would be stop by any random clinic and get the medications, get the ultrasound. I think continuing down the medications uh, checklist, if we're going to stay, let's stay with the GU stuff. Um, so STI testing and uh, or, or treatment at least, right? So people are kind of scared to do medicine is, is what I've seen is – um, from my time over here, right? Like treating people empirically based off of signs and symptoms without confirmatory lab tests. Um, so I, I don't have a lab. I don't have a way to run a gonorrhea chlamydia. I don't have a way to run a herpes viral, uh, PCR. Um, so really my, my go-to is just to treat, right? So if, if they come to the, me with the right story and the right symptoms, I'm going to make sure that I'm treating them. So for me, things like ceftriaxone, doxycycline, uh, and azithromycin are kind of my go-tos for the STI GU stuff, right? Remembering that most male uh, urethritis or, or even UTI is going to be something that can probably be, be treated with, uh, with my STD medications um, unless they're having uh, unprotected anal sex. And then that's something that that kind of goes down another pipeline. But I think for the generic run of the mill, most of you guys are going to be coming in and, and those three medications can probably take care of all of my STIs. And the one thing that I didn't bring was uh, valcyclovir, famcyclovir, some kind of uh, retroviral, uh, which was, you know, it, it wasn't so much the genital, it wasn't HSV2 that was giving me problems. It was guys coming in with uh, oral labial sores, so cold sores and having, you know, having a little bit of a breva or something similar so that you can help take care of those guys would have been beneficial and, and would have probably gotten me points with the, with the team. Yeah, those are, those are great. I, I like the idea of a, of an antiviral coming along and, uh, you know, valcyclovir or otherwise. You might consider, uh, because you mentioned uh, um, HSV, uh, you know, you get some, potentially some neuropathic pain with that. You might consider something like a GABA, gabapentin. Um, for managing pain down the road as well. I think, you know, the NSAIDs and Tylenol don't do much for that, but um, it does something. But having a GABA somewhere in there, and this all depends on the depth of your bag, depth of your box, right? You know, if you're, if you're putting this in a, your carry-on bag onto the aircraft or um, something like that, it might get harder. But if you've got a nice big old box, certainly those things are reasonable. Yeah, but everything you mentioned there, I think, is, is great medications. Uh, thinking down a pathway of, uh, of a... Um, uh, bacterial prostatitis is probably reasonable as well there. Uh, thing I've treated in the aid station in Garrison. I've never had to treat it um, in in a deployed setting, but I think that that's ciprofloxacin, if I recall correctly. And so it's a, a pretty common common medication. It's just a long dose. So you might need a, a healthy am amount somewhere buried in your in your kit. So, But otherwise, dig the ideas. So you brought up, uh, you know, whether people are going to be bringing this on the airplane or, or not. I think this is a decent place to kind of pull aside and, and talk about how are we getting this stuff overseas. Um, so they gave us a container, right? And so I had a, a nice big 20-foot container that I filled up with all of my medical supplies. And then I didn't see that thing for a good six weeks after I got on ground, right? Like we shipped it out. It was here but I, I couldn't get to it. And so I didn't have access to any of the medical supplies that I, I shipped overseas. Uh, luckily, I did have a, a tackle box that I've used in the past. And so I, I loaded that thing out uh, before we came over here. I'll throw uh, some pictures up in the show notes. And I've also got uh, the, the pre-printed labels that I've used. 
Um, but I use a tackle box because for me, I found a tackle box plus an M9 for some trauma. Uh, I'm covered for most sick call things. I can run sick call no matter where I am, right? I can be working on the back of a Humvee. We can have a roll one tent. We can be flying. Uh, it, it really f- doesn't matter. Those two bags are small enough that I can chuck them in the back of a helicopter uh, and, and travel with those no matter where I'm at. So I'm always able to treat. So I have a tackle box. Uh, it's just a little soft-sided tackle box with some of the clear plastic dividers inside um, and I have baggies filled with medications and then on top of those clear plastic dividers I have um, common medications with their indications contraindications and common dosages Uh, that way makes it simple even for my medics where I can be like hey man like I want you to go in that the tackle box and I want you to get this medication and and fill out you know give them this many tabs or pills or whatever it is Um, but what are what are some other options? I know before we started, you were showing me a, a little tackle box, but it was just like a single one that you you said you carry in like your your carry on bag. And, you know, I was looking at your pictures of of your tackle box, and I think that's perfect. You know, it's probably something you can bring on the aircraft and convince them to let you have a second carry on. And I loved how you had it all labeled out. You knew what all the medications were, and you had it broken up into good. Uh, the little box I was showing you is just a single little tackle box. I mean, it can't be more than four inches by eight inches by an inch in depth. And it was something I actually, um, I just would jump in with, you know, on, on top of, um, I, I would throw it into my aid bag that I was, uh, when I was doing airborne ops. And it was just, you know, simple shit, Tylenol, Motrin, uh, Zofran, some Benadryl, um, and then some of the other medications. And it gave, you know, a little protection. Um, but that's all that was. And I, and I still carry that in my backpack today going to, going to work. And it's, it's just where I get my Tylenol and Motrin from. And then when someone comes up and it's like, ah, oh, he's Zofran. But to what you're talking about, I think it's, you know, this probably goes to like this idea of aid bag, truck and house bags, right? Is now you just take that same kind of thought process and think about on the aircraft, <laughs> um, at the terminal, and at your terminus, wherever you're, you're ending at and what you got. And um, generally, you know, anything that goes in the container, you, it's lost to you until the container shows up. And that might be 30, 60 days, um, you know, like right now. So I've been back from Iraq uh, at the time we're recording this. I've been back for two months and our, our, our containers that are coming back are still a month away. If, you can imagine if that was your medications, if that was what you were banking on to do clinic for, you know. So um, so think about that. Think about the fact that you're your that stuff is lost to you and quite possibly it might fall off the ship it might never show up it might get lost in container yard you, you don't know um and i think that that will help drive you for what should you put underneath the aircraft obviously you got all your personal stuff and you got to carry your ta-15 and your gear but maybe you have to go and make the argument to your s4 or whoever's managing the the, the tat boxes the two accompany troops boxes and make an argument to get something in there and um you know, we were talking before we started recording, maybe that TCMC sick call uh, MES kit is the thing to do. Maybe you just stock that thing out kind of per a standard load and then and then take some of the lessons of things we're talking about here, like make sure the valcyclovir is in there, make sure the gabapentin's in there, make sure the these other medications, make sure there's plan B and all that, and just pack that one out as a specific for on the aircraft. And then you can at least get to it. You know, like, you know, you can be like, all right, well, I've got this other problem. I've got somebody, now I need plan B. And I didn't bring it in my carry-on bag on the plane. You probably need a bag to take onto the aircraft with you that probably has like routine shit. And, and we can talk about what that first layer cut is. Um, and then you need the next layer cut, maybe underneath the aircraft. And then that final layer cut is is coming in your containers or, or some other way. Um, as far as what's in the aircraft, man, I'll tell you, like professionally, I had a couple of lessons in, in taking care of people on airplanes, not not militarily, like, um, you know, old people that uh, have heart attacks and people that have asthma. 
uh, when they are late to their plane, they run to their plane and they suffer events. And so I've, uh, I've dropped off a guy in Canada that was having an asthma attack from the UK to the US. Uh, we had to, we had to divert the plane and that was, that was a civilian aircraft. Um, I, uh, I've, I've done a full code, CPR code, shocked a lady, uh, five, six times before we handed her off to EMS sitting at the terminal at the gate. Um, because she sat down and just had a massive stroke or heart attack. Uh, I mean, she was in cardiac arrest full on. And, um, you know, those kind of things happen. And usually there's something on the aircraft, depending on what contract bird you're, you're moving on. They probably have some sort of little box, but you probably, if you've never looked in it, it's probably not very cool. It might be a little bit of ACLS drugs, but it's not much. So that kind of drove me to some of the medications that I carry on. I carry on an albuterol with a spacer. Um, I don't necessarily carry nitro, but I think if I was run with the right population, I might throw some nitro in there, um, you know, kind of ACLS and, and heart pain and those kind of emergent things. But the bulk of what I would carry is like, oh, I got a tummy ache, you know, oh, I'm going to throw up. I don't feel good. I, I've got a headache, you know, that kind of stuff that comes along allergies. Um, so I, you know, I carry Tylenol and Motrin everywhere I go. I carry Zofran everywhere I go. I would consider some dicyclamine for crampy abdominal pain. I would consider, um... Uh, Claritin, maybe some nasal sprays, some Afrin, uh, you know, all those kind of standard allergy medications is in that, in that first line cut. And kind of two things there is one, one side of that cut is what kind of emergent things might I have? Am I going to have an anaphylaxis where I need epinephrine and Benadryl, um, and some steroids? Uh, am I going to have an albuterol and an asthma attack that would also benefit from some steroids and some, some, uh, some albuterol? Uh, or, and then am I going to deal with kind of routine sick call? Oh, I got poopy pants and I could benefit from some little paramide, um, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. And that's, that's usually what's in my first cut, um, going on the aircraft with me. That seems pretty solid, man. Um, and then, so we had talked about like the tap box, right? So like you could use just a giant tough box, you know, and, and just fill that up with 30 days worth of whatever you think is uh, reasonable medications. And again, we'll post my list. Um, will be up on the show notes. Uh, and so you guys can check that out and hopefully that's a good guide for jumping off. And some of the stuff that we're talking about is lessons that I've learned since I've been over here. So I haven't been able to update, uh, but please take it as a, as a baseline and, and see where you can go with it. Um, other things that have kicked my butt since we got over here, uh, upper respiratory tract infections, right? So just a basic kennel cough, uh, that stuff has been absolutely tearing through camp. Uh, and, and it's, you know, a little sore throat and some sniffles, but I tell you, I was being a stingy butt. And, and for like the first couple of weeks we were here, I was handing out three Motrins, two Tylenols and, a, <laughs> and, uh, like two Mucinex and, and that, that was their little cold pack. And that's all I had. And, and uh, like, I would just, people would stop coming because they're like, dude, doc's not giving, give me jack shit for this cold. Um, you know, we did the COVID testing thing and, and it wasn't COVID. So we weren't super concerned about it. Guys were relatively healthy otherwise. Uh, but you know, Sepical, Mucinex, Motrin, uh, Tylenol, Sudafedrin. And, and when I talk about quantities, I wish I had thousands. Um, I, I mean, out of my formation of a couple hundred soldiers, I'd say right now, six weeks in about uh, somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of my guys have gone through this, uh, just little kennel cough. And, 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 you know, if I can make their day a little bit less shitty, uh, I think that that would be something beneficial. And, and again, like I was, I had to be stingy because I didn't have the supply, um, specifically of like the sepical mucinex. Uh, and like I had my little baggie of Motrin that was in my tackle box, but again, I wish I had, I wish I had the, the thousand pill bottles, 
or, or what, 500 pill bottles uh, of, of Motrin that uh, the, the just the giant ones. Because I was going through that stuff like none other while, the first couple of weeks we were here. Other things that kind of caught me off guard, though, was eyeballs, right? So guys with contacts who either somehow did, forgot their contact lens jars, the little their contact lens cases, didn't have enough solution. Uh, I had one kid the first week we were here get a corneal ulcer because he didn't wash his hands before he put his contacts in. Uh, and then had, you know, left them in for two or three days before we, before changing them. So he comes in with eye pain, sensitivity to the light, had to run him up to the, the host national hospital that was an hour away from here. Uh, and that took, let's see. So the first day alone, that was like a three or four hour trip. And then I've had to go back once a week, almost for the last three or four weeks. So he, that one kid's eaten up a lot of my time and that's because I didn't have, uh, simple stuff, things that I, I, you know, like I know better than to not have fluorescein stain, woods lamp. Um, you don't have to have the big fancy woods lamp that has the, the power source and the button. They make little pen light woods lamps. And, and for some reason I don't have one and it's kicking my ass every time somebody gets something in their eyeballs. Um, erythromycin ophthalmic ointment, levofloxacin drops. Both of those things would have been super beneficial for me to have here. Uh, and, and again, like this is, this episode's a list of all the things that I screwed up and that I, I hope that you guys can learn from and, and that we can do better in the future. Uh, and, and I hope you guys can learn from my mistakes. So, so again, eyeball stuff was a big, big miss for me here on this trip. Uh, we've been really lucky. Nobody's lost an eye. Nobody's vision's been, been, been damaged. And we do have access to host nation facilities. But if we were a little bit more austere, I, I think we'd, we'd probably be in some trouble, actually. Other things, uh, derm, derm stuff, uh, having a little bit of antifungal, you know, going beyond the foot powders. Uh, you know, the, the old mantra of if it's above the waist, they get Motrin. Below the waist, they get foot powder. Didn't Doesn't quite cut it here. Uh, so terbinafine cream, hydrocortisone, uh, some kind of silvadine ointment for the burns. You know, our field feeding team managed to burn the hell out of themselves a couple different times already. Uh, some kid left a MRE heater on his leg and had a nice, uh, you know, almost two silver dollars worth of, uh, third de- or second degree burns on his, uh, on his thigh. Cause he left that thing sitting on his lap. It was, it was pretty remarkable. Um, but that, that's been some of the big stuff. Uh, and then, you know, your, your general MSK laceration repair, suture, stapler, um, some ACE wraps, if you have room for them, a couple of, uh, you know, like manufactured slings, ankle braces, wrist braces. Um, that's just the kind of stuff that, I mean, I, I don't know how I overlooked it. I guess I assumed it was in my, my Connex. Um, and then I didn't have access to my Connex. Uh, and so that it really just threw us for, for a big loop. Um, the last thing that, that really kicked my butt was uh, access to MC4 computers or Alta or any kind of electronic military uh, medical records. And so SF600s, right? Uh, my printer that the army provided us with is broken. I don't have any toner. I don't have any printer. <laughs> the, the printer just it doesn't even turn on. Uh, and so I've been fighting through how to get SF600 so that we can document uh, the healthcare that we are providing for these soldiers uh, so they've got some medical record of, of what happened to them while they were over here. And so what I recommend is, you know, burn an entire leaf of paper and just come over here with a, at least a ream of, of SF 600s. That way you're ready to go. And in the event that your MC4s aren't imaged to the local theater imaging system, because that's a, 
uh, a wonderful piece of information that I didn't know is that MC4s, uh, you can have them imaged for the US, you can have them imaged for Europe, you can have them imaged for CENTCOM, and when you get to that theater, you have to have them re-imaged. So unless you're falling in on TPE, theater provided equipment, your MC4s probably won't work for the first couple of weeks that you're here until you're able to get them re-imaged through your S6 um, and then get them get them back. Those those are all great meds, man. And uh, as you were talking about eye stuff, uh, you know, you talked about those cobalt blue pens. Those are absolutely necessary. Your fluorescein staining, the ability to take a look in that eyeball, absolutely critical. It made me think um, of ear stuff as well. You're probably going to get some otitis media, otitis externa. So some steroids, do- steroid drops, and and otic antibiotics as well, uh, reasonable. And uh, and keep in mind, sometimes you might have an otic or an ophthalmic, and it it'll work in the in the ear. But double check, like read Hippocrates, and like confirm, like call somebody. Um, I think we ended up doing that in Iraq this last time I was there. But that'd be reasonable to have some stuff like that. Maybe even an ear wick or a couple ear wick. It's just staying in the ENT land. Maybe something to pack a, a, a nasal bleed would be cool too. And maybe something to stop that bleed with. So you obviously have TXA and uh, um, you could use Afrin. Um, uh, oxymetazolin uh, would be totally fine. That'd be that'd be something cool. You mentioned most of the stuff with the URI. I, I dig it. The only thing the only thing I you just practice pattern that I throw on as well. I like benzodiate um, uh, drops. Uh, or uh, uh, pills and then uh, for cough and then I I, every once in a while we'll throw some ipratropium bromide uh, like an inhaler uh, for that and uh, um, you know for the cough and and so that's that's just my practice pattern I don't think you're necessarily going to pick that up anywhere but um, sometimes somebody with a URI will benefit from that and that'd be something to consider putting in there if that's in your practice pattern Uh, again all of that is just buying you time until you're until you are near a clinic or next to or your stuff shows up and so it's really really up to you and whatever your pattern is there uh, for your topicals you mentioned, uh, I would I always like to carry triamcinolone as well on top of, so I can kind of upgrade the the um, the steroid, the topical steroid. So I think some triamcinolone is reasonable there. And then uh, I found calamine lotion to just be you know, a godsend for a lot of that stuff, particularly if you're going somewhere where they're going to end up with some contact dermatitis type problems. And so calamine, you might. Um, you know, like you might throw a few of those in there to, to manage in the meantime. And you might have to ration it out until your big box of calamine shows up. And uh, I say you're buying time until your container shows up. The other thing that you're buying time for until is, is until your class eight supply turns on, right? So you, you can actually start ordering stuff. And uh, if you are not familiar with how the class eight system works and demos and, and your um, all that kind of shit, I think that that's worth talking about. I don't think that's an episode we're going to, we're not going to talk about that here in this episode, but it'll frustrate the shit out of you um, when you're like, want to start ordering stuff. And somebody's like, well, yeah, what's your Dodak? <laughs> and where's your brigade medical supply officer? And you're like, I didn't bring them. They're not here. And I don't have a Dodak. And, or you might be like, what's a Dodak? Uh, and um, it, it, it gets wild and that gets very frustrating. And eventually that's the gap you're trying to fill with what you're packing. So just keep that in mind. Moving on, you might literally have somebody get on the plane and be like, my tummy hurts and you're staring at an, a, a, an appendicitis rule out. And so you might be talking about, Jesus, what am I going to give this guy for, uh, you know, like maybe you're going to end up treating that with antibiotics on the plane for several hours before um, and they might rupture and route. And so consider some antibiotics, some other antibiotics for that kind of weird stuff. Um, otherwise, I think your upper respiratory antibiotics were solid and, and in topical antibiotics, bacitracin and bacitracin and I always carry mupurosin uh, is with me with me as well for those MRSA kind of runs. And then that's kind of where my 
my, where I end that. And I, you know, I, I, I said that with the steroid as well. Like I like triamcinolone to be there. You could, you could bring, um, beta as well, but you know I mean? To what point, you know, like if, if, if I treated them once and then I can upgrade to a triamcinolone and they didn't respond, then good. And you've got PO steroids, hopefully along that pathway as well, which we kind of mentioned, um, before. So, but all of that is, you know, I think that the lesson for you, the guys as they're listening is like, what am I potentially going to run into and, and really sitting down and thinking about it, you know, and, and that's the hard part is that you're going to miss something and just be okay with it. It's going to be a lesson for, you know, be like, shit, I wish I had. And you obviously experienced that this time I've experienced it before, but, uh, it's, it's going to happen. So, uh, as far as your MC4 and being able to document, totally agree. Bring some SF 600s. Uh, I, I think that's great. Um, what you mentioned about imaging your computers, what, what is unique about doing that is that each theater, uh, so one, you're going onto a server in that theater, right? And so whether it's CENTCOM, UCOM, PACOM, wherever you're going, uh, K4, it doesn't matter. When that computer crosses in, like the, the S6 and the people that run the IT stuff are like, well, it doesn't meet our standards. And so they're going to want to wipe it. Um, and that's true when you get it set up on your home station, you know, your, your SASMO or CS, CSMO, I can't remember what the hell it is. The, the guy that's responsible for imaging it and getting it onto the nipper net at your home base is that what it is. That, that's all they're doing is trying to format it to make sure it's cool. And where that's going to nip you in the butt, let's say you take your MC4 or whatever system, uh, you know, is, is coming along. Is say say you go to a place where there's no internet connectivity and you're just documenting on that MC4 and you're like, that's okay because the medical records will upload as soon as I get this back to the internet, I'll just plug it in and go. Well, when you leave theater, guess what they're going to do to that hard drive? Yeah, they're going to wipe it for you. <laughs> so all the healthcare that you stored up on that computer is going to be lost. And so you've got to make sure that you get linked up to an internet connection in the theater to download all that stuff. Um, most of the places we go where it's theater provided equipment, or we've been there for a hot minute, like Iraq, the internet's connected. Like each of the fobs that we have in Syria and Iraq is, is connected to the internet. And so you have an MC4 box that's theater provided equipment. And every night at midnight or two in the morning, whatever the hell time it does, it, it pushes all the notes that you've documented on the MC4 up to the main server. And then it shows up as, as a theater note, uh, on the server back in the United States. Um, if you are not connected to the internet, if you if your boxes haven't been um, imaged and put onto the server and you have internet access, they're just sitting locally on that one computer and you've got to find a way to get it out or you have to SF600 and then plan to scan it all in and get, you know, whatever that mechanism is. And that's, that's a nightmare, man. And you learn that. Uh, so be prepared for them to wipe your computers when you leave theater. And if you haven't gotten all the healthcare off there, then, then, and you've wasted a lot of your life <laughs> doing healthcare notes. So, but uh, what else? What else you got, man? I mean, that's those. Those are all just little lessons, and I think great points. And um, you know that tiered approach to on the aircraft with me, under the aircraft, and in in the box that I may never see again. Um, but I hope it shows up. And then your fallback of I'm going to start ordering as soon as I show up and have a, an account where I can get class eight. That's that's really the great way to attack it. Yeah, man. I think that's solid. The one thing that I, I want to leave this this episode with. Um, it's not so much sick call, but it's narcotics. Um, so I ran into this trap as well. Before I left, I talked to my brigade. I was like, Hey, what's the plan for getting narcotics once we get over to Europe? Uh, and they're like, Oh, like we got this. It'll be totally fine. We'll get over to Europe. You guys will draw narcotics and then it'll be fine. Uh, I've been in this particular theater for six weeks now. Brigade still has been unable to get me narcotics. I was able to make some drug deals around the corner, um, and I acquired my own narcotics from 
another unit that was in a, a neighboring country. Uh, so they, uh, luckily I, I knew one of the providers, turns out it was a PA that I'd gone to school with. Uh, and so I called her up. I was like, Hey man, like I, I need some narcs and, and she was able to work it out and we got them signed over to me, but my brigade still hasn't been able to. So do not under any circumstance, leave country, leave the United States without narcotics in hand. Uh, it might create a little bit of paperwork, but it's doable. Um, as long as you're traveling with a memo that says like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a, essentially their courier order saying you're authorized to carry these narcotics. You won't have any problems with TSA. You won't have any problems with, uh, international flight, anything along those lines, just carry the damn narcotics. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, we learned this lesson the hard way. I had a young kid who, who punched a window and, and managed to slice all of his flexor tendons on his hand, uh, and, and had a, an ulnar artery bleed. Uh, who I couldn't adequately manage his pain before we were able to get him to the hospital. Uh, and so this, this kid had a little bit of an ordeal, man. And if it's something that was so easy to fix by just bringing the narcotics in the first place and, and not relying on theater ordering stuff. So unless you're going to, you know, if you're flying into, I know Afghanistan's closed, but you know, if you fly into Bagram and then you're going to push out from there, right? Like you could draw narc in that theater uh, back in the heyday, you know, you would fly into Bagram, you could draw your narcotics and then you would push out to whatever outstation you were at. And that's fine. But unless you're going to one of those developed theaters and that's your route, um, you know, I didn't fly into a central location here in Europe and then disperse out to my, uh, my, uh, outstation. I flew directly to my outstation because it's Europe. Uh, and so I, I was at a loss and, and I did not have narcotics. So, um, that was, that was something that hit close and, and hit home. And, and I, I learned a very valuable lesson as far as, uh, not bringing those forward with me in the first place. And, and so I will make sure that I do that from now on. No, solid, solid point. I, I agree with you. Get it, get it before you leave and take it with you. So, uh, the, the last thing, I guess I, I keep saying that, but, uh, chronic medications for people, right? So how do they get their deployment medications before they deploy? Um, or, uh, if it's a medication that's controlled, are they able to get it through, I don't know, the express script system? Um, and, and so that's something that's out there for guys, make sure when they go through their SRP, they're getting their 180 or 240 day deployment medications, you know, depending on the medication, you can get it for the entire length of the trip. They'll give them a year's worth of meloxicam or, or a year's worth of fexafenadine if that's what they're, they're looking for. Um, obviously they won't do that with controlled medications, but, uh, you know, guys have been coming up to me three, four weeks into this deployment asking how they're getting refills of medications. And I have to explain to them express scripts. Uh, and, and that's a fantastic resource, but it has been giving us some problems with things like ADHD medications. So even though they got their approved waivers, they're still not able to order their ADHD medications through express scripts. Um, so now I'm, I'm kind of scrambling, trying to figure that out for these guys. Yeah, that's, those are solid, man. And we just went through this in Iraq as well. And I'll, I'll tell you like, Step one to this is own your SRP, right? If if they you you have to call out, find out who's on chronic long term meds, and you have to check. And if you rely on somebody else to do your SRP, so uh, like like us, we deployed out of the the base uh, soldier readiness center. So everyone went over there, and we didn't actually have a designated provider that was responsible for checking that the PA the pre deployment health assessment got done, that the people that needed medications got their medications ordered. And so when they walked in and talked to these providers, whether they were civilians or active duty military or reservists that were just doing 
pre-deployment health assessments, they were like, oh, no, you have to go see your primary care for that medication. And so they're basically trying to force them to get another appointment when they should have just refilled the medications. And generally, TRICARE will let you get six months. They, they won't give you more than six months. And, and they'll give you the six months is if you give them a memo. So you might have to craft a memo, hey, we're deploying, please give six months with a refill. And then tell the tell every one of those people on chronic things, you need to go on and register on Express Scripts now, make sure that you can see it and that you have our unit address where we're deployed, and then you need to order it however far in advance. For us in Iraq, we were seeing about it three weeks to get it. So they needed to go in and order it about three, four weeks before they were running out of their medication. And to be frank, they sucked at it. And so what I, I did over and over and over again is I would have to prescribe them a 30-day supply from our pharmacy, which we were fortunate we were in a rule three and had a robust pharmacy. Um, and then I would sit down right there and fill out the Express Scripts form and order them the, the six-month supply and drop it onto the server. And that requires internet access. And so if you don't know how that works, you know, reach out. And it's, it's, it's fairly self-explanatory. But what you just mentioned, like anything controlled substance, ADHD medications, they require a wet signature on that, that form, which means to you, you have to print it off, wet sign it, put it in the mail and send it. Um, if you're like we were in Iraq, mail, you know, a letter was taken three or four weeks to get back home and then they process it in three or four weeks to send it back. That's two months. That's ridiculous. Um, so actually, we, we f figure out some ways to cut that corner. One, for you deployed, if it's you, rather than you printing it off, mailing it and sending it free mail via the U.S. Postal Service, call a buddy back at home and be like, hey, um, fill this out, sign it, you know, and, and if it's controlled substance, you got to be wary of like, I would teak on that. Like, I wouldn't want anybody to question like, what are you doing? Like, I would teak on it and be like, hey, this was mailed to Express Scripts on behalf of this provider for this patient, blah, blah, blah. And, and just capture that and, and be straight up. But that'll that'll cut off, you know, all of a sudden the mail takes two days from back CONUS as opposed to however long from Europe back to Tempe, Arizona, where Express Scripts lives. Um, other things you can do, you know, if you're putting somebody on Motrin uh, chronically and their dose is 400, order on the 800s and, and write it that way and then get them a pill cutter and be like, man, make this last. Uh, uh, it's just a pain in the ass. The, the, the thing I most commonly prescribed in theater was actually uh, oral contraceptive pills for our females. And so you want to make sure they, they, they have that memo and they have a good long um, run of it and they have a refill in place. Otherwise, you're going to have to figure that out. And if you didn't pack out a whole bunch of variety of oral contraceptive pills, good luck to you because... Uh, if you're going to try and change a girl's oral contraceptive pill and change your hormone mix, you're you're in a nightmare scenario. And and I tell you, I I did it. I mean, I had I was like, damn it. I was like, hey, I can get this. I can't get that. Like, what do you think? And I, you know, I, I probably, I mean, legitimately, probably 10, 10 women that I took care of um, during this last appointment where I was screwing around with their OCPs, and I was like, I'm I'm sorry. I don't I don't have an answer for you. I can get you this in the next thirty days, but in for the next 30 days, you're going to be on something else, you know, which is just like the wrong way to do oral contraceptives. So the best thing to do is catch that in the SRP and the pre-deployment and make sure that they have everything they need before they go and that they have logged in and know how to order their refills. So, so solid point there. Hey, boys and girls, I think this is another time for a great interruption. I wanted to tell you, if you don't have the knowledge capability or equipment slash medications for the problem, you have to evac them. And that means lost combat power. So drive yourself to have the knowledge and the capability and have the equipment or medication on hand to preserve the combat power for your combat commander. And they will love you and you'll be a better person and your life will be easier. So that's the, that's the takeaway.
All right, Grumpy. I'm going to call it. We've been talking for uh, way over our 30-minute mark. So uh, I appreciate the conversation. If you guys have any questions, if you guys have any tips or ways that you do it, please feel free to reach out. Uh, if it's worth our time, we'll put it up on the internet, and maybe uh, maybe somebody else will pull it off the website. Uh, I hope you guys have a good night, and I'll, I'll talk to you next time. Hey, everybody. Grumpy PA and Pandemic Paul want to thank you for listening to the podcast today. We're obliged to remind you that our episodes represent our opinions and are not the positions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. We have no commercial interest or conflict of interest to report, and we're always seeking feedback, questions, and recommendations for future episodes so we're talking about the things that matter to you.